Okay. Uh, I just clicked the notes. Guys up in the booth, this looks like Rick's message from last week. So it's similar. So thank you. That really would have been fun today. Church, I'm so grateful that you are here this morning. We have, and like we do every year, we always take the beginning of the year as a time to do some reflecting. There's a lot of times I don't speak on uh, finances or different things like that during the uh, during the year, but at the beginning of the year, I always like to start out a series on finances or generosity or something along those lines, and this year is no different. And last week, Rick started out the series, and, and I did want to take a moment, first of all, just to thank a couple people. Uh, first, Rick Applegate for the message that he preached last week. Uh, Rick, where are you at, buddy? I know he was here. He probably left. No. I know he's, he was probably out uh, working and doing some things, but Rick did a great job. If you don't have you know, if you're not here on that Sunday, let me encourage you, just go to our webpage, click on, uh, you can uh, download a podcast now, and you can, uh, or listen to it live streaming uh, on that. Uh, it was a great message that he brought. Uh, I listened to it and grateful for that. But then also, I, I wanted to thank Jesse Cadington as well. Jesse, are you here? There he is, right here. Can we thank him for leading worship last week? Yes. Uh, bro, I, I mentioned to you, I, I want, sorry I wasn't here. I wanted to be here just to hear you lead worship. I heard you did a great job, but thank you. Thank you. I know, I, we, you know, I do the same thing. People say, great message. I go, yeah, yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah. But thank you, brother, just for that. And the reason I want to thank them is not only just to show my appreciation, but I'm so grateful that, you know, that I can take time off and go. And then at times where Brandon has to take off and go. And Brandon, thank you for leading weekly, brother. I mean, it's not a full t- he's not a full-time pastor, but he's here every week leading. Make sure you thank Brandon and thank these men and women who serve in this capacity. But as Rick mentioned even before the service this morning, that when we talk about generosity, we're not just talking about money, even though the passages, in particular the passage that I'm going to read today, is dealing with that aspect on money. But when we talk about the generous life, we're talking about every aspect, not only your money, but also your time, the way you serve and the way you give, because you can just be just as covetous with your time and just as greedy with your time as you are with your money. And there are so many different ways that, you know, a church our size, we need everyone serving in some way. You, you need to be involved in serving somehow, some way. There are countless opportunities, countless opportunities that you can do. Well, you can serve by children's ministry. We're a little bit different here than maybe most churches. Most churches, they may have somebody who feels called to children's ministry, and they're there every Sunday, every week, every year of every day, and it's their ministry, and you can't take it from them till death do you part. That's not how we do things here. We do things pretty much on a, I believe it's monthly basis where you serve once a month, or every two weeks, or whatever the case may be, and we recognize time there, but 
in children's ministry, they need your help there. You can be generous by talking to Shelly West and signing up to serve in children's ministry. Many of you have done that for years here. So thank you. Thank you for serving. I don't want to minimize those who have not served. This church would not function without servants. But children's ministry is one way. There's another way, Nathan Fickert. Nathan oversees and heads up our greeters, our ushers, our connecting people. He is always looking for folks to greet. If if you're not in faith to do a certain ministry, man, come and just greet on Sunday mornings. Come and just be an usher and help serve and and then not be the same people all the time. Give other people an opportunity. Uh, Just welcoming people, doing different things like that. These are all very much a strategic part of what a generous life is. It's giving your life away as Rick said, which was his theme, let Jesus be your reason and source of giving. So the, the motive is, is, is for us to deny ourselves of our coveting our time, of being greedy with our time, and being selfish and not showing hospitality to others who would come into our church home. And it's a great opportunity for you. So Nathan Ficker, where Nathan, where you at, my man? Right here. Nathan heads that ministry up. He's the deacon that oversees this aspect for Abundant Grace. Next week, he's doing a little get-together after the service, going to order some pizza, going to give you an opportunity to come. If you're interested and in, in, you need to be interested in being a greeter, usher, serving in any way, capacity that you can do, it'd be great. We would love it and appreciate it. You can talk to Nathan about that. If you can't make next week, let him know that you're interested. Go to sign up on the web. You can email us. You can email Nathan, and we can set you up to be able to serve. Another way that you can serve is on the music team. Brandon is always looking for people that are gifted musically, people that have a gift, people that you're, we're not looking for professionals here, okay? We, we understand we're limited. You know, nobody here is going to go on the road. But you have a gift, the ability to play an instrument, the ability to sing. I have the ability to sing. I'm just sparing you that ability. You hear enough of me. You, you hear enough of me already. But you have a gift. Don't let your gifts lay dormant. Amen? Use your gifts for the glory of God. Your gifts are not about you. Your gifts are about God and encouraging, using your gift to encourage other people. That's what your gift is about. And you may not think it takes a gift to be a greeter. Oh, yes, it does. You may not think it doesn't take much to come up here and sing. When probably singing is a little bit different. But even your spiritual gifts, reading scripture, coming up to the mic, words of encouragement, stirring the gifts up among us. This is what a generous life looks like. How are you serving the people of abundant grace on a consistent basis? Man, I've just laid out a number of ways for you. You know, I was at an event uh, a couple weeks ago. And this young lady got up and sang incredibly. I mean, I was enthralled with her voice and the song that she sang. But as I was sitting there listening to her sing, I, I, I thought, you know, I wonder if she sings at the church that she's a part of. 
And if she doesn't sing, then Lord, convict her because that's an incredible gift that doesn't need to be wasted. And I run into many other people then doing other things that ask, and I ask myself that same question. And this is what life is like. Look, folks, life is busy. We're all busy. We all, hey, every one of these people that serve up here on Sundays, that serve in children's ministry, that serve as ushers and greeters, their life is just as busy as yours. It's the priority and the emphasis of where you put your busyness. And is, are you doing something to bring about for the kingdom of God and the local church here that God has placed you in, abundant grace, and how can you make your family much more warm and welcoming and serving by using the gifts that God has given you for the kingdom of God? Because I'm going to tell you that all the busyness, and we're going to look at this today, all the busyness of what you're doing in the world you're not going to take that with you. But your investment into this local church, your investment of pouring in, welcoming somebody that comes through that door, welcoming somebody and serving in children's ministry and the lives that you're going to touch in children's ministry, serving through music, doing all these different ways, that you're going to take with you. That is eternal. Because you're doing it because you love Jesus and he is the reason for your source of giving. So when we talk about the generous life, that's what we're talking about. Let Jesus be your reason and the source of your giving. Okay? All right. If you have your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 12. To Luke chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he, Jesus, said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, to his disciples and the crowd that was there, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness or greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentiful. And he thought to himself, what shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this, I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up for himself treasure 
and is not rich toward God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, for these are the very words of Jesus warning us this morning in 2020. And so, Lord, we want to be responsive to the word of God. And so, Holy Spirit, come and open up the eyes of our hearts and give us understanding to hear and to see what you would have for us. And so, Father, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. In 1986, May of 1986, at the University of California, Berkeley, Ivan Boski, a big-time stock trader who made his millions through corporate takeovers, shared these illustrious words, these pearls of wisdom to the business students there at Cal Berkeley. And this is what he says. Greed is all right, by the way. I want you to know that. I think greed is healthy. You can be greedy and still feel good about yourself. Those are the words of Ivan Boski. Several months later, after that address at Cal Berkeley, Boski was nabbed by the SEC, not the football conference, but he was nabbed by the Security Exchange Commission when he found that his stock manipulations were often based on tips from corporate insiders, which is illegal. Mr. Mr. Greed soon found himself in possession of a nice prison cell for a long period of time and in 1986 paid a record $100 million fine for his greed. The words of Ivan Boski to the students of Cal Berkeley ignored the very teachings of Jesus. His words... Ivan Boski's words goes against the truth of the teachings of Jesus. Greed is dangerous. Greed is unwise to store up for yourself only hear what you see and what you can live on and be happy with it or think you are happy with it. I don't know about Ivan Boski, but I've met greedy people and I've never seen a happy one yet. And so greed comes in different forms and different sizes. You don't have to have a lot of money to be greedy. We know that. Jesus is very clear that it's the love of money that is the root of all evil, not money itself, but it is the love of it. And you can have a love for money and you can be greedy without having any money. So this isn't an issue about whether you're financially set or financially struggling you just have to be careful, and Jesus is warning us here uh, to be careful, pay careful attention, be on guard against all covetousness or all greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. These are the words of our Savior, and I'm so grateful for Rick and his message last week as I was listening to his message last week, and he came up with his focus point. His focus point was so good, I'm going to steal it and use it for the rest of the series here that we're going to be talking about this. And it's simply, let Jesus be the reason 
and the source of your giving. I loved it when he said it. It resonated with my soul, and I wanted to just build upon that. And so today we're going to look at three points from this passage. uh, We're going to look at the struggle, then we're going to look at the story, and then we're going to look at the solution. Very easy, very straightforward as to what Jesus is doing. And so first, I want to look at the struggle. What has taken place here? First of all, Jesus is in uh, a teaching mode. He is teaching his disciples. The crowds are gathering around. He is teaching. We can see in verse at the beginning of chapter 12, Jesus tells his disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. So Jesus is beginning to teach. He he is uh, encouraging his disciples, his followers that are listening to him to be careful of the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. Then he goes on to tell them in verse 4, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and afterwards have nothing more that they can do, but I warn you whom to fear. Fear him who has the authority to cast you into hell. So Jesus is preaching. And then he goes on in verse 8, and he begins to tell them that if you acknowledge me before men, so my Father will acknowledge you before heaven. And so Jesus is teaching. He's going, he's preaching kind of like I am right now. He's just laying the lumber down, bringing the truth of God, and and he's doing it. When out of the sudden, out of the crowd, someone yells, Teacher! Tell my brother to give me my inheritance. That's that's what's happening here. Jesus is in teaching mode. He's going forward, bringing the truths of God. When all of a sudden, someone in the crowd who is not interested, obviously, in what Jesus has to say and really wants his questions answered, and he goes in and he tells Jesus, hey, here is the struggle that is going on. Jesus is teaching, and this guy yells to him and says, teacher, tell my brother, to divide the inheritance with me. That's, that's why he's there. That's why he's there. He's not there to listen to Jesus as Savior and listen for the words of eternal life. He just sees Jesus has got a growing crowd. He must be pretty popular. He's probably got a lot of wisdom here. And so, therefore, I'm going to ask him because that's what you do to a rabbi or a teacher. Rabbis, it was very custom for them to handle, at times, family disputes. They would either be a judge or they would be an arbiter of those family disputes. And so this guy, in the middle of, of Jesus' sermon, then goes on and interrupts Jesus and cries out from the crowd and wants Jesus to tell his brother to give him the inheritance. Here's the struggle that we see that is going on. First of all, this man sees Jesus only as a teacher. He doesn't see him as anything else. He doesn't see him as the Messiah. He doesn't see him as a savior. He sees him strictly as a teacher. Second of all, he's not asking Jesus to judge or even be an arbiter in this situation. He just wants Jesus to tell him what he wants. Tell my brother to give me my inheritance. That's what I want you to do, Jesus. I don't need you to judge. I'm, I'm really the judge. 
because I'm the one that's been offended. My brother has not given me my inheritance, what is rightfully mine. We know this. And so, therefore, I want you, Jesus, just to tell my brother, you don't need to hear the story. You don't need to know the details of what's happening. I just need you, with your authority and power that you are displaying among us now, I need you to speak these words to my brother so that I can get what this man thinks is rightfully his. We know nothing about the story of the inheritance. The Bible doesn't give us about this. Maybe the older brother who would have been in charge of the family estate and family fortune would have looked at his brother as being irresponsible. Maybe he was a drunkard. Maybe he was a gambler. Maybe he wasted money. And maybe the brother was holding back some of his inheritance because he knew what his brother would do with it, kind of like the rich young ruler, right? Or not the rich young ruler, but the prodigal son. Wants to take his family's inheritance, wants to go, he squanders it all. Maybe it could be that. We don't have any idea as to what is happening in this situation, but there is a struggle that this man is experiencing in his life, and he wants Jesus to rectify the struggle. He wants Jesus to tell his brother to give him his money. And Jesus graciously uses this interruption for a teaching moment and a number of things. And first of all, Jesus replies to the man by saying, Man, who am I and who has made me a judge or an arbiter over you? Who has, Jesus directly asked this question. Jesus is not a local rabbi of a synagogue. No one has come to ask Jesus to be the judge or arbiter over this situation. This man is asking for something that Jesus obviously is not going to deal with because Jesus has not come to earth to deal with family squabbles. He's come to earth to save mankind. Amen? And so his purpose is greater than all of this. Jesus is addressing this man and his struggle and asking him, and letting him know that no one has made him the judge or arbiter over this situation. But what Jesus does is he goes on and he tells the man simply this. He is going after the heart of the man. He's going after his heart when he says this, when he says to them. Now, Jesus is no longer just addressing this man. Now it says, look, in verse 15, and Jesus said to them. Now Jesus is addressing the entire crowd. Everyone who's using it. Jesus is going to use this opportunity as a teaching moment for all to hear. And so he then comes and he says this. Take care. Take care and be on guard against all covetousness or greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Boom. Jesus has just layered the, laid the boom on the people right here. And in particular on this person who is asking Jesus to tell his brother to give him his money. Jesus is taking that moment and bringing a greater moment to remind all of us, to remind everyone that he was hearing them as Jesus spoke these very words, to even the Holy Spirit inspiring this particular incident and putting it in the Bible for you and me today in 2020. 
and Jesus' words are very much apropos then as they are for us today. And so we have to ask the question that Jesus is asking of us, that Jesus is warning them, warning everyone that's hearing them, warning this man who's asking Jesus this question. Jesus is also warning you and me today with these words, take care. Be aware. Be on guard. Be on guard. You have to be ready because you've got to be on guard. You've got to take care against all covetousness or greed. Now, here's here's the challenge for all of us. And because as I'm studying this passage, this is a challenge for me as well. I'm going through and I can... If I was to come up to you and I, and I would say to you, hey, just have fun. Derek, do you think you're greedy? Derek's probably going to go, no, because I ask myself this question as I'm studying this today. Phil, are you greedy? And of course, my self-righteousness rises up. Certainly not. I've given money to the Lord. I tithe. I do this. I do that, I am not greedy. See, here's the challenge in the passage today. We could easily check out the words of Jesus, check out mentally with the words of Jesus by saying, no, I'm not greedy. I'm not coveting. But Jesus is telling everyone, including you and me, that we've got to take care. We've got to be on guard here. We've got to be on guard against all greed, all covetousness. What does this look like? And then Jesus continues, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now, again, folks, I think you have been with me long enough here at Abundant Grace to know that we do not have a problem with things. If if you buy something that's really nice, praise God doesn't mean you're greedy, okay? God has blessed you. You live in a nice home. That's great, wonderful. If you like boats and you bought a boat, great, praise God. If you bought a new car, great, praise God, okay? Doesn't mean that you're greedy. Doesn't mean that we're greedy. But we have to constantly evaluate our hearts to make sure that we are aware of this last phrase that Jesus brings up, to make sure that you and I, that our life does not consist of the abundance of our possessions. Because those cars will rust. That boat will sink. Your house will fall apart. And if your life consists of possessions, Jesus is saying that then we have a problem with covetousness or we have a problem with greed. It can be challenging at various times. There were times where I remember the first time I got my dream car. Man, I was, I was a senior in high school. I was working, making money. And I went and I bought me a 1976 Camaro. Mm, is right. It was sweet. It was so nice. 
man, I'm, I'm, I'm probably, let's see, am I 18, 17, 18 years old? I'm working hard for my money. Single parent home, it's not like my mom gave it to me. I had to go work for it. I bought my car. I was proud as a peacock. I loved that car. I waxed that car. I shined that car. I did everything, man. I was like, man, yes. The girls loved it. It was beautiful. This is why we get cars, right, men? No, I'm kidding. Don't hear that. Children, that's not why you get cars. I love that thing. I drove that thing around. I drove it on the campus. I mean, it was just, it was, it was tan. It had the spoiler on it. I mean, it, the wheels, it was just, it was God's gift to me. It was wonderful. And then, at work one day, I had to run down to an office complex to get some office supplies for the work where I was working. And as I was parking, I parked only to come out of the parking uh, out of the office department store as I'm walking over to my car I see a massive dent in the back fender of my car and I went up and said no and what made it even worse it was there was no card saying hey I just smashed your car here you go and so I just thought oh no I mean I was obviously bummed and distraught my beautiful idol had been crushed. And so I went and got it fixed and everything was beautiful. And this about right about this time, I ran into Kay and started meeting Kay. And Kay had the car of all cars. She had a little Volkswagen, orange Volkswagen. That was the nastiest looking thing. I thought, man, it is not. But it was faithful. She loved it. That's her thing, okay? But... We started dating about this time. Well, all of a sudden, they fixed my bumper on my car. And as, I'm, as time progressed, all of a sudden, I, I, I noticed up by the window seal a rust spot. And then the rust started eating away my car, my beautiful possession. This thing... Man, you want to talk about an emotional roller coaster. When I saw that dent, I mean, it was just like, you know, part of it is I worked hard for that thing. Part of it was the injustice of that person not putting their name up, saying that they just smashed into, you know, this wonderful car and all this stuff. But it was everything, everything about me. But it was a wonderful example to me that life does not consist in our possessions. Because as sure as you get that new car or you get that boat or that new house, there is something that's going to happen. Someone's going to come in and do something. Somebody's going to walk into your new home with a drink at your housewarming party and dump red Hawaiian punch on your carpet. It's just the way it's going to be. There's something that's going to happen. And the challenge is, how are you going to respond in the midst of all of this? How are you going to respond when your car, your home, your something has been damaged, hurt by someone else? Not you. If you do it, it's okay. I was all right. Yeah, I'm the one that spilled the punch, blah, blah, blah. But if someone else does it, could be a grandchild, could be a child, could be a friend. It could be a number of different things. How are you responding in the midst of this? And so Jesus is here warning us not 
to have our possessions be the consistent thing in our life. The possessions that we have are gifts from God to be used for His glory. Everything that I have, I want to use it for the glory of God. I drive my truck for the glory of God. If something happened to my truck, it's okay. Okay? You know, the other day, I was in a car accident. Checked on her, our nice little Honda. Bam. She calls me. My biggest concern is, are you okay? Don't worry about the car. Are you okay? Yes, I'm fine. Everything's good. Just the car. Now that you're okay, why did you get in a wreck? No, just kidding. Didn't do that. But just making sure she's okay and caring for that. Because these are only possessions. These are things that God gives us for the use of us. Our home is here for the purpose and the glory of God. We love hospitality. We want to have people over. We want people to stay with us. People have lived with us. All for the glory of God at various different things. This is what it is for. And so Jesus reminds them and tells them, tells the entire crowd to take care, be on guard against all covetousness for one's life doesn't consist. And then Jesus goes and he then tells a story. And he tells the story of a rich man. Jesus tells this parable concerning the issue of greed and covetousness. And Jesus lets us know that the rich man had land that produced plentiful. So whatever this man had in this parable, Jesus lets us know that this rich man, his land was very fertile and very fruitful. His Everything that he had. So this guy was making money. He was, his job was successful. He was very raring to go. Everything about him was, life couldn't have gotten any better. The, the, the five-year projection was looking great. Five years from now, things are looking good. And this is the part of the struggle that I have with this passage as I was wrestling with this passage. And that is the second thing. That the rich man thought to himself. Now, I like that because to me, this lets me know that this man is planning for his future. That's not a bad thing, is it? Proverbs tells us to make sure that we are to plan for our future. I think every one of us needs to make sure as we are setting up in the society and the culture in which we live, you must have a 401k. You must have something that plans for when you are no longer working or if something happens to you physically and you can no longer work. There needs to be some type of plan, some type of strategy that is that you are prepared for rather than just flying by the seat of your pants and thinking that somehow the government's going to take care of you or maybe someone else, a family member will take care of you. So here, for me, the man thought to himself. This man is thinking future-oriented things. So I think that's good. The problem was, was how he thought. You see, you and I, when we think about our future, we must think our future in light of eternity. Not only thinking here and now, but also in eternity. So we have to think our future, what is life going to be like when we, quote, retire? 
and can't work anymore. Make sure we have there. But then also, what are we doing for eternity? What are we doing for that day when I'm no longer alive? What is my life going to look like when we go through this and when I walk through this life? You see, I would have looked at this rich man as being prudent. But God looks at this man and calls him a fool. Now, I, I don't know about you, but that, I, I just, I, that did something to me. I, I'm thinking that this man is going to be is, is trying to be prudent. He's trying to plan. So I had to ask myself the question, what about me? Am I being prudent or am I being greedy? Those are the things that I begin to wrestle with. What about me? How is my, you see, but I I think Jesus further relates this to us because when we look at this man, this rich man whom Jesus calls about, who calls a fool because everything he thinks about is about life and not about God or judgment or eternity in his thoughts. So let's look at the man's response. The man thinks to himself. And then he says this, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my my barns and build a larger ones. And there I will store my grain and my goods. And look at this last line. And I will say to my soul. I mean, it shows us that this man has only the temporal things in mind and not the eternal things in mind. And I think that's the difference between me and this man here and maybe you and this man. This man has probably, and it looks like, a lot more money than I would ever think I would have. But I make sure that not only am I planning for my future and my retirement, but I want to make sure that I am planning for eternity as well. Because my money is not my money. My money is God's money. I'm a steward of what God has given me. I am a steward of what God has given me on all of my possessions. My cars, my house, my job, every aspect of my life, I look as that I am a direct result of a steward of what God has graciously given me. So when I get my check, I pray, Lord, what do you want me to do with your money? And right off of the top, right off the top of that list is, Phil, you are to give tithes, 10%, and offering over and above. You're out of, That's just me. This is how I feel the Bible teaches how I am to give. You may be different. That's your choice. I don't, I want to see it biblically where you're coming from, but off of the first fruits, not off of your investment, not off of maybe this here or maybe I did this. No, what money is coming into my house during that month, that year, and I am taking off the top, 10% 10% minimum on the tithe, and then I give over and above that to other ministries as well as 
excuse me, to our building fund as well as to everything else that I can give an opportunity to. I am looking for, for me, 10% is a minimum of how much I give. I want to be rich toward God, which Jesus tells us at the end here. And I want to encourage you to be rich toward God. What about your life? If you worked a 40-hour work week, do you give 10% of your life to God throughout the week? Four hours a week. If you work 40 hours a week, give 10% of your life to God for the church, looking for ways to serve, looking for ways to come and and help out and be a support. Hey, I'm going to go to community group. That's going to be an hour and a half during the week to where I can go and build relationally. Are you giving 10% of your time for the kingdom of God to see the kingdom of God advanced and expanded and looking to serve other people in other ways? Don't go to community group just to sit there and to receive. Go to community group to sit there to give. Give what God has shown you from the passage. Give what God encourages you to do. But tithe your time for the kingdom of God. I want to make sure that I'm doing that as well. Over and above my regular responsibilities as a pastor. I want to make sure that I'm serving and looking for ways to serve. And those are ways in which we can do that. Come, be a part of the worship team. Serve in children's ministry. Be a greeter. Be an usher. Tithe a percentage, 10% of your time that you work during the week. Tithe it to God and the local church. Amen. Thank you, both of you. That's what we need to do. This is what we need to teach our children. Folks, do you realize that the local church is not our idea? The church is Jesus' idea. We are the bride of Christ. The local church is God's greatest gift to the world. And we should invest in the local church. It's the most, as Charles Spurgeon said, It's the most beautiful and dearest place on earth. It's what the church is. And if we give our time to so many other different things and we don't give it to God and to the local church, we are missing out on a huge portion of what God has called us to be. And so this man only had one thing in mind. He had his thoughts, his mind, what he was going to do, even to to the extent... I will say to my soul. In other words, this man had nothing. No, his thoughts were not on God. He was, as the old saying is, I'm the captain of my own ship. I'm the master of my own life. And when you take on that mindset and don't have an eternal perspective, you are missing out. And that's what happened to this guy. He was so materialistic oriented, so greed and covetous oriented that he only thought one thing, me and my life and what I'm going to do. And I say to my soul, soul, you have enough. You have enough. Eat, drink, and be merry. You don't have to worry about anything. And then God responds and says, you fool. You fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? You see, this is the, this is the crazy thing about this. You, know, you see, greed is not a financial issue. Greed is a heart issue. And so you must understand that. 
You can have a lot of money and not be greedy. I know wealthy people who give a lot of money to various organizations and churches in particular, and God still blesses them. And this is the beautiful thing about it, folks. You're never going to be able to outgive God. You never will. Doesn't matter what you do. You try to give God and you try to outgive God, He's going to say, No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give back to you. Over and over. And the more generous you are, the more you're going to receive. That's just how God is. If your heart is generous, it's going to be that way. You have um, um, Samuel's mother. She's crying, can't have a baby, praying to God, Lord, if you give me a child, I'll give him to you, blah, 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 the whole nine yards. Eli sees her, he thinks she's drunk, and she's just wailing out to God because she's barren. And so what ends up happening, she... She ends up, God gives her a son, Samuel. She gives him to God. She says, God, here it is. The only child that I know, I'm giving him to you. She gives him to God. You know what God does? He gives her five other kids. You never outgive God, no matter what it is. I can point to scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture where someone gave something and God gave them multiple more. I'm not helping wealth here. I think you guys know that. But there is this principle here that, if, that Paul says, if you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. If you sow generously, you're going to reap generously. And this is not just money. This is life in general. If you give your life away, folks, your, the joy in your own heart through giving is going to explode exponentially because of what you see how God is using you. And so this is what God says. And so now we want to look at the solution. What is it that God has done for us? And I need to go quickly here. The solution. Jesus gives us two solutions to greed and covetousness. First, we see that we are to take care and be on guard against covetousness. We are to take care and be on guard. Because one's life does not consist in his possessions. And then the second thing that we are to do is we are to be rich toward God. Don't just lay up treasures for ourselves. This is what he says at the end in verse 21. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. The solution to greed and covetousness, number one, is being is taking care, being aware, being on guard against all covetousness, to be aware of our situation, to make sure we're evaluating our hearts at various times, and then we are to be rich toward God. That's the, this is how you battle covetousness and greed. You be, you're aware and on guard, and you're rich toward God. Why is it that this is such an issue? And I want to talk about some problems with greed. First of all, greed or covetousness denies the lordship of Christ over everything. This is the first thing. This is what happened to this man. I, six times in that passage, he says, I will, or my barns, my grains. That's what it does. He never saw that those things were gifts from God to him. So when we are covetous something and we are greedy, we are saying that, Jesus, this isn't yours. This is all mine. I've done this. I've built this. This is incredible. That man should have been thanking God for the fertile land that God had given him. 
He should be thanking God for the fertile soil that he planted his seeds in and thanking God for the wonderful harvest that comes out of it. Because that man didn't do, build that. God gave that man these things. And he doesn't do this. And that's what ends up happening many times in our lives. We lose sight of that. So greed denies the lordship of Christ over everything. Psalm 24.1 says simply that the, um, the earth is the Lord and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. God owns everything. God owns everything that you have. He's the owner of it. He's given it to you. You are there to steward it rightly rather than try to think that somehow you built it or you bought it or you bought it because God has been kind to you. Number two, and the second thing, greed destroys relationships. You don't have to read very far to see that this man at the beginning that asked Jesus to get tell my brother to give me my inheritance, that their relationship was destroyed. There, there was a breach in their relationships. And, and you know, just as much as I do, you've seen it as well, how money and the inheritance and other things like that can destroy family relationships. Money is a funny thing. It's a powerful thing. And it can make us lose our moorings. And the more we make, the more we want. And the more we lose, the more bitter we can become. I have seen in my own, I've seen it with my own mom. Where her brother swindled her and her other siblings out of money. And I saw my mom give glory to God through the process. Money destroys relationships. Greed destroys relationships, I should say. This is what happens. We see this. And so we see that the Bible tells us clearly that our number one priority, folks, is to love God. And then number two is to love our neighbors as much as we love ourselves. This is what God does. Number three, greed focuses on the temporal, not the eternal. That's what happened with this rich man. He deliberately thought it, he had a deliberate thought out decision, but he left out one critical factor, eternity. He did not consider eternity. And I want to encourage you, do you consider eternity in your life and through your giving? Or is it just a temporal thing? Look, I have always, even before I was a pastor, I've always been generous in giving. Because I always have understood that God owns everything. I've given to buildings that I've never been in. I've given to churches that were wealthy and churches that were poor and churches that served. And this was all before I was ever a pastor been on your end where I was working and writing. I was struggling and saying, should I tithe or what should I do here? And I pay this debt and I've got this over here. And no, no, no. Never even enter my mind. Won't even allow it to come in. There's first thing off the top is my check to the Lord. Is my money to God. That's the way I, that's just the way I am. It's the way I see scripture to be. Lord, it's all yours. I know I got myself into college debt and other debt that I'm aware of. And I know I got to pay those bills because of the high interest rate. But let me go ahead and pay that all first, Lord. And then, I, no, 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 no. That's not my mindset. That's not the way I see God doing it. 
I, I, various times, various ways God comes in. I'm not trying to throw a guilt trip on him, but I don't know your financial situation. I'm just telling you what happened with me. Okay. As we walk through, me being the only source of income, five kids staying at home, and we're sitting up here counting pennies and making sure we've got enough to make sure that we're constantly being generous toward God. Because I want to focus on eternity, not just on the temporal things here. Now, there are a couple questions that I ran across from Dr. Cole. I want to give him credit for that, that I thought were great questions that we need to ask ourselves concerning greed. It's a, it's a if you would, uh, a test. But five questions you can ask yourself. These are wonderful questions. Number one, do my thoughts more often run after material things than God? question you can ask yourself. If I'm often thinking about a new car or a nicer home or a better computer or a better iPhone, it just came out. I've had this one for one year. I need the new one. I need the 11. Everything in me says that. And look, I, look, this is what you do when you have five kids. You get expensive gifts for Christmas. You know, my kids were like, what do you want? I want an Apple Watch. I don't want to buy it. I want you to buy it. I raised you. I spent money on you. There's five of you. You can spend money on your dad. And so me and Mickey are doing okay right now. So I'm loving it. But that's the beauty of having five kids. You get better gifts. But do my thoughts run after more material things than after God? If I seldom think about God, then I'm greedy. I can be tainted by greed. Number two, this is a hard question. Do I ever compromise godly character and pursuit of material gain? Do you cheat or do I cheat, lie still to get ahead financially or to avoid loss? Am I willing to shred and break relationships or take advantage of another person for financial gain? And you might be greedy. If I care more about making money than being a witness for Jesus Christ, then you might be greedy. Number three, do I enjoy material things more than I enjoy knowing God? If my happiness soars when I get a new car and I'm bored by the things of God, I might be greedy. If I rejoice when I win a door prize, but yawn when I hear about someone getting saved, I might be greedy. How do I respond when I lose material thing? When the stock market drops, Do I fall apart emotionally? If you lose something of any value, such as something that a car gets wrecked, a fire in your house, does it devastate you? What and how do we respond emotionally? Are we sad When we lose things of value to it. In other words, if something was to wipe you out, 
Are you still going to find joy in the midst of it? It's a tough questions. And then finally, the question number five. What would I do if I suddenly came into a fortune? I know many of you don't play Powerball or Mega Millions. Just kidding. But what would you do if you won the lottery or if you won the Reader's Digest sweepstakes? If only you know, they're going to come to your door and bing, $5,000 a week for the rest of your life. Or what if a distant relative or what if you receive a large inheritance from your family? What would your first thought be? Is it going to be toward the things of God and how you can use it to expand the kingdom? Are you going to think about, I can get a better house, a better car. I can certainly take better vacations. All of these things. You have to ask questions. This is what I think Jesus is wanting of us. Take care. Be on guard against all covetousness. Don't just wipe it aside and think, "Ah, I'm not greedy. I'm good. But be aware of what is taking place. And why is that? Because each one of us, we have a choice that we can make. A choice in life. And this is what I want to end with. You see, the true measure of wealth is what will be ours in eternity. I want you to get that. That is the true measure of wealth. The true measure of wealth is not what you have here on earth. The true measure of wealth is what is going to be yours in eternity. How are you building for that eternal day when you will stand before God? And as it says in uh, Corinthians, you're going to stand before God. Everything that you've ever done is going to be in one big pile, man. It's all going to be up here. And then what's going to happen is God's going to bring his holy fire on it. And whatever's left, whatever's left is yours. Think about it. Every deed, every time you give, everything that you do is going to be piled up. And it's going to, the holy fire of God's going to come on it. And it's going to burn up every bit that was done out of selfish ambition, wrong motives, wrong things said. Everything's going to all be burned up. And what's left is yours. The true measure of wealth is what will be ours in eternity. And I pray, I pray that you and I will have mountains full of wealth in eternity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you, Father, for the privilege that we have to give to you. Lord, you have been very kind to us. The wealth that you have given us, Lord, all of money, everything that we have, Lord, all of this is yours. May we steward what you've given us. Money, time, our health. May we steward it wisely, we pray in Jesus' name. Let's all stand and worship the Lord together.